0: Lee Horton.
1: Hey, today I have the amazing opportunity of chatting with somebody who is passionate about helping people around the world learn to lead and lead to learn. Katie Anderson, leadership coach and author. I hope you enjoy this episode as much as I did recording it. Hey, it's Lee. Welcome to Business Problem Solve. Today I have the amazing pleasure of chatting with leadership coach and author of Learning to Lead, Leading to Learn, Katie Anderson. How are you, Katie?
2: I'm great, Lee. It's great to talk with you today.
1: Yeah, no, it's amazing. The pleasure is all mine. And I, I do have to admit that, that when I do introductions, normally I just do them straight off the cuff. But your title of your book has got so many L's in it. I was yes. conscious of getting them the right the right <laughs> way around. So I had to practice that one a few times.
2: Yes, I know. It's a, It often gets switched the other way as well. But uh, it doesn't matter. It's a cycle of learning and leading and leading and learning. Yeah. Uh, so whatever way it comes out is great.
1: Perfect. No, I, I wish you'd be talking about before all my rehearsals. Um, <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay. So for those people who don't know who Katie Anderson is, it wish she, and I wish she got to sit or stand in that, that place today. Uh,
2: well, I am based in San Francisco Bay area, California, but I have lived in five other countries, and that's been part of my own learning journey. Before we, you know, started recording, I told you after university I lived in the UK for a little yeah. over a year, and I actually uh, I, I started my career off in healthcare policy, and have a master's in public health, and, and which I did out in Australia, and ended up living one and a half years, turned into four years. Wow. And through that journey, I had some personal epiphanies of mine. You know, so I had this whole career in health policy, thought I was going to be an academic researcher. When I moved, uh, actually, while I was still in Australia, I realized getting the PhD was intriguing from the, the side of me that loves learning. But I, the type of research I was doing was felt so disconnected from human, like tangible, visible outcomes. And I could go for days without talking to somebody. And uh, as you can probably tell, I'm a bit of an extrovert and (laughs) I I need some human connection. And that's how I moved into healthcare um, process and quality improvement. And when I uh, moved back to the United States, I took a job at Stanford Children's Hospital. And that launched me on to sort of the trajectory of my career in the last 10 years, which has been Uh, working in process improvement and then moving into not just improving processes, but how do we develop people's capabilities and had the amazing experience uh, a year after starting my own consulting practice to move to Japan for my husband's job, which for me as a lean practitioner and someone who'd studied the Toyota production system, I was very excited. And that's how I met uh, the subject of my book, Isao Yoshino, a 40-year Toyota leader And uh, the rest is history. We became a one-day visit um, to go to Toyota City became a regular experience, and we developed a close and personal friendship. And I learned so much from my conversations with him. Uh, And I was so appreciative that he allowed me to write about those and what the time was my blog. And then, you know, fast forward five years later, became this book, Learning to Lead, Leading to Learn, uh, really documenting his stories of learning and leading and the richness of experience that we can all take back from, to our own lives as well. So amazing. that's sort of the, the me in a capsule.
1: <laughs> yeah, amazing, amazing. So when when uh, I, I read um, about you and you said you, you moved to Germany, uh, to Japan for a, a period of time, I thought it was you that led that that move to Japan. Mm. It wasn't, was it? So that was an easy sell for him, wasn't it?
2: Oh, it was super, like, I mean, serendipity. And like, he, he said, oh, I've been offered an opportunity for us to move to Japan. I was. I couldn't have imagined a more perfect uh, new country to move to based on yes. my professional interests at the time. It was a little daunting. We literally just had our second child a few months before, so there was part of me was like, "Eek!" You know, yes. excited for the you know the personal and professional, but also saying, "Oh, we have a lot going on." But uh, nonetheless, my uh, we jumped in and had an incredible both personal experience as a family, uh, and then for me professionally, it's just. It's enriched my my own perspective about leadership, and I lead trips to Japan too. It's just yeah. like who would ever thought it was so intricately connect would be so intricately uh, connected to my life now.
1: Yeah, amazing. So I've had a number of conversations with people, and they're, they're at a particular point of the career, and so I want to ask you a question: Did it, five years ago, would you have seen that you are doing what you do now, or has this been your dream to do, or is it just naturally happened?
2: Yeah. So, you know, that's a really great question because uh, I've been thinking about that topic a lot about how do we weave our life of purpose? And that's actually the framework on which I uh, wrote the book. So this concept of what are these like known things inside of us that really compel us forward, otherwise known as our, our warp threads. And then what are the things that sort of we discover or have incorporated or learned about ourselves or the opportunities that it, uh, we've taken advantage of, which are our web threads? So. Five years ago, I would say, yes. Six years ago, I would have had no idea. Or maybe six oh. and a half. So it was six and a half years ago that we found out about the, the time to move to Japan. Yeah. And it was when I first met Mr. Yoshino at a conference. And that set in motion everything that now has happened. But no way uh, would I have ever thought that Japan or someone like Mr. Yoshino would be such an intricate part of my life. But when we moved to Japan, and so I I had inklings of potential about how that experience, which was for, you know, ostensibly for my husband's job, how I could use it with intention to create something possibly in the future for me. Uh, was, so my purpose there was to just go out and learn as much as possible and make as many connections. And yeah. then, you know, maybe see what could happen with that. And And, you know, now I have the Japan trips, I have the book, I have, you know, this incredible relationship with Mr. Yoshino and, um, and more. So,
1: yeah, I love it. Love it. Yeah. No, it's, it's, it's the thing, things dreams are made of, isn't it? Um, it is.
2: And sometimes, so, sometimes we, the, our best laid plans can get us so far. And then other times you have to just embrace opportunities that you had no idea you could never have planned for, but then uh, but, yeah. but create it into an amazing experience. Cause you could also be passive and just be like, okay, you know, yes. I hit, <laughs> I, you know, just kind of have that experience happen around you. But, yeah. you know, people would say to me, oh my gosh, you are like, you're doing so much. And I said, I know I have 18 months. Like I need to embrace this experience and capitalize on it so yeah
1: completely completely so i um, i remember talking to somebody um a few months ago now and they said that i think it was um freud mentioned something about having golden seed moments um and and your life is littered through golden seed moments those moments that are pivotal to to ch- changing or shaping mm-hmm. the direction and i challenged him on it and i said you've got to be really you've got to be open to those to those things and you've got to be open to those opportunities or exactly like you just articulated then they might just pass right past you so so, and so I guess you were open to all of this opportunity you were going and and, and, and learning to uh, learning to lead all it's all about uh, learning so and you went with that open mindset to learn as much as you possibly could have you always been a learner
2: I have always been a learner I actually just did uh, like the five strengths test and my number one uh, quality came back was learner the second was achiever uh, so it explains a lot like i want to learn yeah. and then i like put a ton of energy behind Making things happen. Yeah. Uh, but I haven't. And then I think that's why I was gravitated so much towards academia. I really was like, I was a true academic, I was a high academic achiever, always loved learning. You know, when we moved to Japan too, I was like, I'm going to learn Japanese, you know, like yeah. <laughs> I dove in. Uh, but that very same desire to learn and to solve problems and to like dive into things also is something I've had to really. Uh, work on the negative side of that when I'm a coach and helping develop other people because those things that our own inquisitive mind actually can get in the way of how we're trying to develop other people and so that's something that over the last 10 years I've put a lot of intention to how do I own my own passion for learning and problem solving and yet come forward in a different way when my my purpose in that moment is to help somebody else problem solve and learn
1: yeah wow How, how do you do that and, uh, how, do, how do you remove those hats at the different times? Yeah,
2: time? so I, I I call that leading or living with intention. And there's this uh, the word intention has been meaningful for to me for a long time. And it I had to sort of enriched understanding of the word intention from the way it's written in Japanese. A little sort of unwind for a short story, and then I'll go back into it. When I did, when I moved to Japan, I didn't have any business cards. You know, I don't really need them here in the West. We have. You know, just don't, I didn't even give out business cards anymore, but yeah. you have to have a business card in Japan. And I didn't have a logo for my business at the time. So I said, put the word intention on the card. And the, the way the word is written in Japanese, the symbols come from the meaning heart or what's important inside, like your core purpose. And then the, the symbol for direction. And so it's like what intention is really understanding what's our purpose. And then how are we aligning our actions in that direction? So to me, that gets to the same point, like I love problem solving and learning, but when my purpose in that moment is to help someone else, the actions I need to take, yeah. may not being aligned in that direction. So there, there are two things that I have found really helpful for me. Um, the first is to really understand what's my purpose in that moment. And then I do something called an intention pause. It's almost just like a short regrounding of reminding myself like, okay, right now, This is not like, what do I need to do to be the the actions I need to take to actually align with that purpose? So for me, it's like counting to 10 to slow down um, and to not interrupt people and to ask more open-ended questions that start with what or how. um, And so that I'm not really leading the thinking or interjecting because of my enthusiasm to help and to solve problems, you know, I get really fast and I um i just jump in there because i'm yeah. wanting to help and i love the learning process but i need to do something different so it's about for me it's about slowing down really connecting with that purpose and having understood sort of what are the habits that i have that aren't in alignment with that purpose and then yeah. really practicing something new
1: perfect so i want to ask you about your purpose in a minute but you just you you said something i Purpose in the moment. You said mm. a couple of a seconds ago. Do you, have you ever f- been in a position when your purpose in the moment conflicts with your overall purpose, mm. and, and which is the greater purpose? Wh- wh- what do you do?
2: Oh, that. I mean, that's a that's a big question. So first, it's like also understanding what is your what's your purpose or what's most important to you uh, in the moment. Uh, man, I think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's, a, I mean, that's a, that's a tough question, right? So, like, I, I would say you have to unwind. Is if you're finding yourself in situations where your purpose in the moment is not aligned with your greater purpose, then what there's a bigger problem that's going on, yes. um, and then you may need to change. You may need to make some more serious changes. Or if you're being asked to, like, I don't know, I would I would say there's a big discon- If there's a big disconnect between your purpose in the moment and your greater purpose, yeah. Uh, there's a bit there's a there's a there's a different problem you need to address
1: yeah agree um, so I, I, yeah I, I, I'm exactly the same so I've I've been on a bit of a journey myself over the last three years in terms of what is my purpose why do I do what I do and I think and I think my purpose has has, has changed over time and I think I'm now a lot clearer now than I've, than I've ever been mm-hmm. has your purpose continuously changed or have you always had a similar purpose
2: that's a, that's a great question too. And I, and again, I think some of it's just um, the wisdom we get through age and looking back and maybe seeing how things connect in a way that maybe we didn't have the foresight of um, in youth. But I would say my purpose on the macro level hasn't changed maybe how I articulated it, but the, the things that have always drawn me are about um, learning yeah. about helping other people about connection and and really connections around the world. I, I made all these choices as a uh, young adult and, and later in my adult life to live in all these different countries. And the way I describe my purpose now is to inspire others around the world to live and lead with intention, so that we all can help like make a better world. And uh, you know, even looking back at the decisions I made at different points in my life, it's all connected around that um, that concept. I would not have been able to articulate that to you as an 18 year old. Uh, But even looking looking back at my application for a scholarship to go live in Australia for to do my master's, I was saying the same thing. A reason I worked in healthcare because I wanted to help people, even though I was doing health policy, that I had wanted to live in like an international, connected international life. And I wanted to learn and contribute to a greater body of knowledge. And so I think all those things are connected, but maybe not articulated.
1: Yeah. Yeah, no, perfect, perfect. No, thank you for that. And you, you mentioned early on as well around um, uh, it process, but then actually for you, it was all about people. When mm. did you? So I think lean uh, and improvement has been misunderstood for, for quite a while, and, and a lot of people focus on process and trying to without mm. and, and neglecting people. And and you've moved into the to the to the people aspects. I'm I'm picking up on on, on your conversation. Yeah. Is has has, what what's your understanding of what what should what what should it be? How best to apply it? What do what do you share with leaders, or how do you coach leaders to get the most from what that what's in front of them? Um, yeah, yeah. How do you do that?
2: Oh, that, I mean, the the how is there, there's so much to the how. But again, I would say like really going back to this concept of purpose, and you know, in an organization, our our purpose as leaders is to both get the job done. So whatever we need, whatever the business purpose is and develop people at the same time. And so Toyota has done that really successfully, which is why my perspective, it's so revered because it's not just focused on the process of delivering, you know, making cars, but it's, we make cars or we make people while we make cars, it's together, it's not separate. Uh, And again, we don't just develop people just for the feel good to develop people, we're developing people so that they have the capability and confidence to be able to contribute their mind and their heart towards you know, meeting the purpose of the organization as well. Um, so I, I I I talk about those tool to um, sort of the the technical and the social or the the process and the people. They're the two sides of, of a balance that both need to be working um, in sync. Or actually, in fact, Mr. Yoshino one time said they're like the tool, the tools in the social side or the technical and the social sides are two two wheels on a cart. But if you don't have them both there, they're not, you know, you're not moving forward. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think we, we it was easier to see the tools and the process side when, uh, you know, in the 80s and 90s, when people are putting so much energy into focus on studying Toyota um, but the invisible parts are how do we develop people and, and what are we doing there? But that's equally as important. Um, yes. Yeah. yeah,
1: completely. So do you see a difference in the Eastern and the Western world in terms of the adoption of continuous improvement? And does that bring you any challenges in what you're doing? So you're so ingrained in, mm. in the, the, the Toyota way and, and um, the, the, that way to, to do it. Do you find that that brings you challenges when trying to convince people in the Western world?
2: So, you know, I, what I find really interesting is I visited a, many, many now Japanese companies. I, and again, so my my focus on the East is more in Japan. I have visited yep. Japan and other countries, but I don't have as much direct experience um, in that. But, you know, what we call lean is it like a totally it's a word that we've used that doesn't exist in, say, Japan, Uh, but the the concepts that underlie that around the concept of Kaizen or continuous improvement and respect for people, that doesn't come, those things don't come easily just because people are in Japan. So, some of the things that we have uh, appreciated about Toyota are, some elements are part of Japanese culture, but there are many things there that are challenges in Japanese culture. In fact, My husband and many others that I talk with would be surprised about how Toyota works compared to sort of the typical Japanese business, which is very top-down management where command and control, where people look to the leader for all the answers and they just wait there passively. But what Toyota and many other Japanese companies have done as well, been able to flip that and do something different. And so the things that might be challenging for sort of or counterintuitive to maybe a Japanese culture, it might be easier for us and vice versa. So I would say the principles are something unique and special. And then the gap between how to realize the principles might differ by 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 region or by yeah. uh, by culture. culture. But it's like leaner, the Toyota production system is not ubiquitous across yeah. Japan, yeah.
1: Wow, okay, okay. So learning to lead. Mm-hmm. A lot of leaders have got to a place because of that because they're the most knowledgeable mm. because they've, they've they've produced the most widgets. How how do you convince a leader that they still need to learn?
2: Yeah, so I I think that that word convince is is uh, the the linchpin because it's it's more of like we can't you can't convince somebody that they need to learn and to change. Yeah. But how can you help? Um, give them experiences that show that. And I, uh, you know, I think back to even, you know Mr. Yoshino's experience and how do you like change the culture of Numi which all these leaders were like who came from the US that was GM's sort of worst performing plant and his responsibility was to develop the training program to convince these people to change. And you knew that wasn't possible. You can't convince somebody to change, but you can give them experiences that allow them to see something different. So the way I, when I work with with leaders is helping them understand again, what what are they trying to accomplish? And then help hold up the mirror maybe to how their actions either help enable those outcomes or maybe actually contributing to the things that they're not, um, things are not wanting to happen. Yeah, um, yeah, but again, somebody has to. They, you have to be open to some self introspection and some willingness to see things in a different light. I don't think we're ever really truly successful if we're out there trying to convince other people of something.
1: Yeah, completely. Um, completely. Yeah. yeah, I love that because one of my favorite quotes is a Socrates quote where I, I cannot teach anybody anything; I can only make them think. And what you've articulated there is different ways to help try to make to try, help get somebody to think or open their mind a little bit. To yes. to what is possible? No, I love that. I love that. Um. So, the the book that you've wrote, what what? Just hold it up again for me. You got you've got a copy there. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Learning to lead, uh, leading to learn. Uh, what what's the follow up?
2: Oh, great question. So I'm actually in the process of some follow up. So first, people can get this on Amazon or many other um, platforms as well. I am in the midst of writing a companion workbook uh, for oh, people. Wow. To use when they're reading the book and for their really their own personal reflection. There are reflection questions that I call practicing Hansei, which was the working title of the book originally, Hansei meaning self-reflection. But so in the book, there's all these questions at the end, but I take it, I'm taking it sort of to the next level of talking about warp and weft and, and purpose and um, really questions that that help guide people through their own learning process. Uh, so that's one thing. And then, you know, some some workshops and other learning experiences, too, I, um, I that will be coming next year. So oh, and that's mental. exciting. And of course, when the pandemic's done, <laughs> well done or, you know, under more control and I can get back to Japan. I had two sold out study trips to Japan in May and October this year, um, which is, you know, of course, really disappointing that that um, couldn't happen. But, you know, yeah. <laughs> that, but uh, looking forward to getting back to Japan and, and being able to take people from around the world to have intense and fun um, experiences of learning. And Mr. Yeah. Yoshino participates in that too. Oh,
1: amazing, amazing! And when, when you were writing the book, what was your biggest learning? Mo- uh, uh, your biggest learning moment? Your biggest the, th- the thing that you learned the most?
2: Oh my gosh! So that was that's a that's a great question too. I I would say, well. I knew that it was going to be a bigger project than I anticipated, and that was true. But for me, the biggest learning moment was to embrace the pivot. Um, so I had this idea that the book would be framed on maybe 10 or some other number of leadership lessons, and I would tell stories underneath it. But as I sat down to write, I realized it, like stories were getting fragmented because like a part of a story fit neatly under one, you know, one. <laughs> one yeah title and then another part and then i was like how am i telling these stories and so that's when i i really released from that original framework and when i did and i and i and then i was like okay i'm just going to tell his stories and then from there the structure will come and and that was really true and and so for me it was also just em- embracing the pivot embracing the pl- you know plan do study adjust cycle and really a reminder that uh, our experiences have so much richness of learning in them, and that um, to allow for reflection to in, in processing, then we can each take different things from those experiences. So that's yeah. that's one thing I learned.
1: Well, no, I love that. I love that, and the the, uh, the book as well has had amazing reviews. Um, and it was bestseller on a number of different charts as well. Is there anything that surprised you, or what's the, what's the thing that surprised you the most about, about the book when you've released it?
2: Oh, you know, so I'm, um, you know, just the con- the, the constant, um, just keeping, keeping, the, keeping it forefront and continuing to, to talk about it and to share the stories. Uh, you know, I was really... I, I, I had the, you know, I wrote the book with the purpose and intention of helping others learn. Um, and I had the hypothesis that people would enjoy it, but I really, um, it's been really quite an honor to have so many five-star reviews and then people to talk, talk about it and saying how impactful it has been for them as well. So uh, I wouldn't say that's, a, I don't know if it's a surprise or not, because I was hoping that that would be the case, yeah. but it's been probably the most rewarding part of the book uh, of writing the book, or the output of the book, the process of writing the book, the biggest joy was working with Mr. Yoshino and and, and helping him reflect on his life and seeing things in a different way. And the the experience of that is one, um, even if no one read the book, is one that I would wouldn't trade for the world.
1: Yeah, no, amazing. I, I can I can't. Well, I can't imagine. But I'm, so I bet it was an amazing experience to to go through. And mm. did did he naturally flow with the stories, or did you have to dig?
2: Uh, it was both, but it was a lot of digging. They, I mean, the, we had intentional, purposeful interviews for like two years for the book. And some stories came very easily, especially the smaller um, vignettes of, uh, you know, maybe something he hadn't thought of for many years or or things that he talks about often. But, you know, there's a big part of the book um, at the end is this decade long new business venture that he led on a water ski, I um, do water ski business for Toyota and it ultimately was a failure. And he always talked about his water ski boat failure, but kind of left it at the surface. And I, like it took me several years to really dig in and truly understand that story. And it, and it was digging in with respect and digging in with questions and clarity. And for a long time, he actually really didn't want to talk much about it. And you can almost see he was kind of gray about it. And he had this really transformative experience it's probably about a year ago actually, where he lit up and he was like, I'm seeing things from a different perspective and I'm so appreciative of you just continuing to ask me questions and to care. And you've helped me see some of these things weren't really my fault and the way you're framing them. And so that was a really wonderful experience. Like it's like, it released some of the weight off of his chest of this, um, this kind of challenging and, and kind of terrible experience at times.
1: Yeah, no, amazing, amazing. No, um, and how, how have you celebrate? how did you celebrate the, uh, the, the book release and, and how the book is done? Because, yeah. and the reason why I ask that question is because I find that not a, too many people don't celebrate enough. Mm. And so how did you celebrate?
2: Yeah, well, t- certainly publishing the pandemic was not um, what I intended. <laughs> the book was yeah. pretty much, you know, we were in the final editing process in, uh, in, in May, sorry, in March, and John Shook had already written his foreword uh, and then there was this, you know, the world shut down. We'd planned to actually be in the UK and in, um, uh, in the Netherlands to launch the book in the summertime and then do a tour in the U S and actually keynote at the AME Toronto conference, which we are still virtually, yeah. but, uh, yeah, it was, uh, so we did, uh, but I really wanted to have some time of celebration as well. And we ha- ended up having this fabulous, two fabulous international parties. Uh, And two different colleagues helped me host, which they were 90-minute Zooms. But we had like 65, 80 people on each call. And you could see all the little faces. And John Shook and Karen Ross and others gave toasts. And I did a reading and Mr. Yoshino talked about it. And it really was this jovial celebratory experience. And we invited anyone who wanted to join to join us. And so that was that was really wonderful, and I I really appreciate too. There, I had um, a launch team and invited people in my network to join that, and I am so grateful for all of their support too, because that really helped us um, have a successful launch into the world and, and keep the buzz and um, and feel like we were celebrated as well. Because it's a big endeavor, and I, I you know I'm I'm learning also about publishing and marketing and all yeah. all of these things yeah. as well. So it's not just just the writing of the book. Yeah, no, I imagine. agree. I mean, so we have to look back and learn from. We need to like acknowledge the milestones as well. But yeah. I I'm going to go show you. I have these Daruma dolls. These are from oh, Japan. Yeah. I have so many of them, but this is the one about finishing. I wrote this. I don't know if you can see it here, but it says, you know, the book with Yoshino,
0: yes. and I
2: set that in 2018. And so I got to fill in my Daruma's eye when I, when I completed that goal. And so that was a huge um, celebration and accomplishment for me as well.
1: Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. So, so those dolls that you've got there, do you, do you complete those every time you've completed some, attack, how, how do they work?
2: Yeah. So there, I have, I imported, I give these away when I see people in conferences or work with them in workshops and uh, these are some bigger ones. I have some actually even j- more giant ones. You do? Ones.
1: Yeah, I can see, yeah, I can see yeah, that. Yeah, so
2: I haven't, I haven't set them with goals yet. But yes, you when you fill in the Daruma's left eye, yeah. when you have a goal, and then it's a visual reminder, a representation of your goal. If they're weighted at the bottom, so they represent... It's hard to do it on my hand, but you can see how they wobble up. Yeah. It helps um, represent the Japanese saying, fall down seven times, get up eight. So... You're going to have challenges on the way to your goal. Keep getting up, keep persevering, keep trying. And then when you achieve your goal, you get to fill in the second eye. Yes, and of course, yes. in Japan, they bring these to the temple and then they burn them. <laughs> but <laughs> I keep all of mine. I have. We, I do bring people to the Daruma Temple um, in Takasaki in, in Japan on my Japan trips. And I have brought some smaller ones, but I can't yeah, yeah. have a hard time getting rid of my yeah. Daruma
1: no yeah. completely no i love that i love that so the um the the there's two main audiences that listen to listen to the podcast um a, apart from me mum so there's um there's a um a population of business leaders and a population of change leaders or mm-hmm. change facilitators if somebody was it was going to be a new um business leader or the mm-hmm. new to leadership and they wanted to set off on the right foot how would you? How would you recommend that they would do that? Taking on the, the lessons of of your career,
2: yeah. So in the in the book, I describe a very simple framework for the purpose of leaders, and it's one that based on a co- uh, quote that I heard from Mister Yoshino, right? The very that conference before six months before I moved to Japan, and really, um, I've taken it. The role of leaders is to set the direction provide support to their people and develop themselves. So I would say the setting, the direction is being clear on, you know, what's the purpose of our department or our organization? What direction do we need to go in? How are we creating alignment? What are the clear targets for the group and how they communicate that effectively to their people? And then identifying the processes that they need or the behaviors they need to take to help support their people. So is it going and checking on them? Is it asking questions? Is it um, doing some teaching or ha- creating uh, visible systems so that they can, their people can make their thinking visible or understand if things are on track or off track? So, really, some simple things, but not jumping in and doing the problem solving or do, you know, so it's not set the direction and then I achieve the direction, but how do yeah. I set the direction and provide the support? And then, so, and then having the awareness of what do you need to do as a leader to improve on those things for yourself? Um, So, having some clarity on what are the things in your life that have both um, helped you be successful to this point, and then what are some of the opportunities you have for improvement? Like, for me, I was a great individual contributor, a super problem solver. Um, love to learn but some of the those things are part of why I got promoted and given more leadership responsibilities but they were also the very things that were getting in the way of me fulfilling um, that purpose and and I wanted to be helping people but yeah. my actions weren't always aligned. so starting to create some awareness for yourself on on that as well
1: I yeah. say I love that love that no thank you thank you for that. Uh, what's the worst advice you've been given?
2: Oh that's it. The worst advice I've been given. Yeah. Huh, oh, I have to think about that.
1: Do, do you want to start with best advice?
2: Oh, that well, the <laughs> the bet. Well, yeah. I guess there's so much. I've been given so much advice, but I think for me, the the best. Um, <laughs> you know, there's so many pieces of advice, but I I, uh, I I'm I'm going to go with the random one that came into my head. But it actually was someone. <laughs> who was a friend of a friend when I was at university and I was trying to decide, do I go move to London to waitress at planet Hollywood after yep. university, or go jump into, you know, a career track and like just keep going. And his, his advice to me was follow your heart and your passion to London. You're going to be able to jump into your career in, in a year um, and not be, you're going to be a year behind your, your colleagues, but in the grander scheme of life, that's not going to um you know, impact factor yeah. career, and actually, yeah. to me, that was the best. It, it was it was great advice because it was like, do some do something that's going to be enriching for your life and your experience that isn't necessarily on the straight and narrow path, but it's going to, it's going to give you other learning experiences and sort of the freedom to sort of follow follow something that was clearly a passion or, or, or drawing me forward. Yeah. Um, but it felt like things that I shouldn't maybe shouldn't do. Um, so I don't know if it's the best advice, but I think there's so much good advice I've had as well, but that one's really just came to my, came to my mind when you asked, asked me that, yeah, it, that help, listen. it helped me continue on the trajectory, which I think has allowed me to connect those different parts of my life now together. Um, today. Yeah. Uh, yeah I don't, I'm stumbling on the worst advice though. I'm going to have to come back to you on that one. I think.
1: Yeah, no, that's fine. That's that's fine. And um, so, what was the what was the piece of advice from Mr. Yoshino that, that sticks in your mind the most? Is it is a something that he said that's resonated more than anything else?
2: Though, and there's so much wisdom to be had from Mr. Yoshino. I actually was going through my uh, stacks of paper today from notes. I was starting to clear out my office. I'm uh, seeing some like old notes from past interviews. I you know I go back. This is not necessarily a piece of advice, but more of a quote that is what I lead in the book. Um, but it really challenges us all. He said the only secret to Toyota is its attitude towards learning. And so, how can we all embrace that concept of learning first and foremost for ourselves? And how do we enable better, deeper learning um, for the people who work with us as well? Um, and to remember, if we're always learning, we're really then able to, to improve as well. And so. So much of what he has said to me about his approach as a person and as a leader all connects back to this concept of learning. Um, And ultimately, that's why I chose to title the book what uh, what I did.
1: Yeah. How how can somebody learn? Is is there a particular way to learn or is it individual? Does that make any sense?
2: Yeah, well, I mean, I think there's individual – processes and uh, like sort of nuance to, to, to learning. But ultimately, it goes back to this concept of reflection. So that, you know, the plan, do, study, adjust, the Deming cycle is, is really the fundamental learning cycle. But we yeah. often start with plan, do, and we go plan, do, plan, do, plan, do, but we don't really learn. So how can we reflect? How can we uh, understand what has happened and then how do we use that for adjustment in the future and so i think that learning really comes back starts with reflection and then and then how how are we applying that for the future and that's really where that knowledge and wisdom is created
1: yeah uh, is there is there um so when you um when somebody's learning to to work on a production line they might go to a a room where they learn the move that learn the movements <laughs> um, and so, they, but not actually not the actual job, but they might um, like turn a few knobs or just yeah. to get to get their body moving in the, that particular way, so it becomes yeah, habitual. Yeah. Um, do you have any? How do, how can you get a leader to reflect more? What are the key um, ways to get that to mm. become habitual for a leader? Yeah, because it's, so, not, it's not physical, is it?
2: Yeah, so the, I mean, two things that came come to mind right now. First is when you're talking about the person you know, turning things, there's different levels of learning. First is like learning the steps we need to take to yeah. to learn how to do something physically or do how to do something, you know, maybe it's not more on the social side, but as people become more advanced in their learning and knowledge, then they can get more sophisticated and more uh, more detailed. So there's, there is a teaching component as well to help people learn the basics. Uh, but to get leaders to help them reflect, it's it can be super simple. And I start with like daily reflection, even just five minutes, you know, what, and like getting back to this concept of purpose and intention, what's your purpose? What was your intention today for how you were going to show up? Not what we were going to do or accomplish. Those are your goals. Your intention is more connected with who you are going to be um, and the actions you need to take aligned to that. And then at the end of the day, how did you do? And just, it could be even just five five minutes of simple reflection. And if we can start with even five minutes, that's where the brain starts to to have some deeper learning where we need to slow down. We're used to moving so fast and we're running from meeting to meeting. And sometimes we're, you know, we just get through that sense of chaos and, and urgency it's so easy to fall back on those "I'm the expert problem solver" kind of mentality. But if we can even just carve out five minutes to reflect, we can we can learn so much.
1: Yeah, and and how would you reflect? Do you have a particular? Do you have a, a way to reflect? Is it? So,
2: yeah, I mean, if I, it's it's simple. It's like a pen and paper, um, yeah. and write it down. And because yes, we can reflect and think about it, which is an important first step. But there's really something important and tangible they've they have they've, science has shown that like the connection of actually physically writing something um, has a different process that goes on in our brain even than from typing it so i'd say just pen and paper go back and write your reflections from the day it's, it's kind of like journaling but going back to that intention what did i plan to do yeah. you know, what actually happened and what am i learning what am i going to do differently tomorrow what have i discovered about myself
1: yeah. Okay, No, perfect. Perfect. So, um, conscious of the time, you're um you've got plenty to, plenty to do. So, two more two more really quick okay. questions. Um, would you would you rather have no knees or no elbows?
2: Oh, gosh. That is a that's a that's a hard question too. Yeah, I, I'm I'm, sa-
1: I'm saving the best ones for the last. Oh
2: gosh, no <laughs> knees or no elbows. Um
0: I'm trying I'm trying to think about how would
2: that go <laughs> I think, uh, no elbows, but, uh, but yeah. yeah
1: makes eating a challenge that wouldn't it? That would make eating oh, a challenge. yeah,
2: but you can, I, I think you can, yeah, I don't know. Both are bad. Yeah, yeah, both, <laughs> both, are bad. Cha- both are different challenges. I, I have a, I have a um, nerve damage in one of my feet and I'm always grateful that it's my foot, not my hands. Cause I can, yeah. I don't have fine motor control in one foot and, um, uh, but, and, uh, but be able to ambulate, um, is also really important. So yeah. I yeah. No. Yeah.
1: No worries. No, that's fine. And then <laughs> fa- <a> <laughs> fine, very final question. If somebody right. wanted to know or understand a little bit more about Kay Anderson, where could, where could they go? What would they do? Uh, and how can, how can somebody find out a little bit more about you? Yeah,
2: great. Thanks. Uh, thanks, Lee. So the first is the easy, probably the easiest to remember. The book website is learning to lead leading to And that redirects actually to my, uh, my business website, which is KBJ Anderson with an O-N. Um, Brian Jones was my, uh, maiden name. So my initials are KBJA. So kbjanderson.com on there, you can go uh, read my blog posts. You can actually go back and journey in time with me for my very first meeting with Mr. Yoshino. Uh, I have, I'll be putting my upcoming courses and um, public appearances there. There's a ton of free material too, from both the book and uh, my own practices around coaching and development, um, and more. So please, please, uh, you there and of course i'm on linkedin and twitter again that same handle kbj anderson
1: perfect no thank you very much and honestly thank you very much again for your time today it's been an absolute pleasure to chat with you and i hope to do so again thanks very much katie
2: thank you so much
0: cheers bye 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 thanks for listening to business Problems solved you can contact lee on linkedin facebook instagram or twitter by searching for lee horton the business problem solver or via visiting www.leehorton.com for more content and to solve your business problems. And remember, saying you know how to do it is not doing it.